So last week we had our personnel ministry meeting at uh, Jamie's home, Jamie Holden, and as soon as we got past the uh, golden retriever, uh, we automatically started talking about the fact that her oldest daughter, Hannah, got engaged recently. Yeah, it was pretty exciting. So it was a great engagement story, and uh, she was saying that uh, Hannah's boyfriend uh, has a hard time surprising Hannah. And uh, several times he'd gone down on one knee and he said, nope, you know, just tying my shoe, faking her out. Um, But uh, Hannah's sister, Gracie, they're really close, and Gracie has a boyfriend, and all four of them went up to a spot to take pictures outside of Portland. And so they were at this spot and taking pictures, and all of a sudden, uh, Hannah's boyfriend goes down on one knee, and this time he has a ring in his hands. And uh, Hannah's looking at him going, what are you doing? What are you doing? So it was fun. It was fun to tell that story. And of course, there's pictures, wonderful pictures of what happened. And uh, I found it was really interesting this last week hearing stories like this and how much joy we find in telling them. A few days earlier, I had been with Carmen at St. Francis Center and asked about her week. And she immediately was telling me that her mother had called her, said, I want you to come over right now. She comes to her mother's house, and her husband is already there, and all these other family members are there, and friends, including Leo and his girlfriend, Mary. And before anybody knew it, Leo is down on one knee, and he pulls out a rose, and attached to that rose is an engagement ring, and says, will you marry me? Mary and Leo had been together for years and years, and she wasn't expecting it, so it was pretty fun. And I brought this up even that night when we were at Jamie's, everybody started telling their engagement story, and it was very, very fun. So they're delightful, and they're life-changing. And also, there's an element of surprise that we try to build into our engagement stories. I think the very first type of an engagement story that's in the Bible is in Genesis 24. And I actually want to tell you this story before we get to our passage this morning because I think it will help us understand the passage in John 4. And uh, it's a story that actually happens in the midst of God's great love story that goes on and on and wants to continue and especially wants to continue through a people. And this people is uh, begun by Abraham and Sarah Abraham and Sarah have a miracle son, right? His name is Isaac. And now, by the time we get to Genesis 24, Sarah has died. Isaac is all grown up, and he doesn't have a wife. And God's great love story is not going to go on unless, well, it will go on, but it's not going to go on through that family unless Isaac has a wife. So this is the story, a story that I think everybody knew in the Bible that was around when we read our passage later. The story is that Abraham invites his most trusted servant in, and he says, okay, I want you to make a promise to me, take a vow that you are going to find Isaac a wife, but I don't want you to find the wife here. I want you to go to the land of my birth. Find a wife for Isaac and bring her back. So the servant is very um, overwhelmed by this vow, not sure that if he does find a woman in the land of Abraham's birth that she's going to want to come back. So he makes the vow, and he gets 10 camels, and he loads them up with all these gifts. He figures that's the only thing that's going to get this woman to come back with him. So he goes all the way to the country of Abraham's birth, and he arrives, and he stops outside of the village where there is a well, and he prays. And he says, dear God, help me. 
It was the end of the day. He knew the women would be coming out to get water, and he said, May the first woman who comes to me, whom I ask, give me a drink, may she say yes, and also that she will give water to my camels. May that be the one that you have chosen for Isaac. And he hasn't even finished the prayer. And the women come out, and the very first woman is beautiful Rebecca, perfect in every way. She comes out with a water jar, she gets her water, and the servant goes over to her and he says, will you please give me a drink? She says, yes, and I will water your camels as well. He's so excited. She's getting the water for the camels. He goes over and rummages through all the packages and pulls out not a diamond ring, but a full-on gold nose ring, 100% gold bracelets, puts these on her, and says, will you take me to your family? So she does. She wears all this incredible jewelry and goes to the family. And, and when the family sees that she's wearing these incredible 100% you know, gold jewelry, they start to lay out this wonderful meal for the servant. And the servant says, no, I can't eat a thing until I tell you my errand. My master is Abraham. He's a man blessed by God. He and his wife are blessed in their old age with a son. I have been sent here to find a wife for Isaac. And I prayed when I got here by the well, and I prayed that the very first woman that came out to me, to whom I asked, give me a drink, that she would say yes, and that she would water the camels as well, that that would be the one that God had chosen for Isaac. And out came your Rebecca, and she said yes that she would water the camels as well. And I need to know, will you let Rebecca come with me? Because if not, I need to know because I will leave and move on. Well, the family said, God be praised, God is in this. Fortunately, they asked Rebecca if she wanted to go. <laughs> Rebecca was willing to go, was eager to go. And so right away, they set out and they come back to Abraham and to Isaac, and the chapter ends with Isaac out in a field, and off in the distance he sees the caravan of camels and wonders what's happening, and then Rebecca off in the distance sees Isaac, and she gets off the camels, and she puts on her veil, and the servant introduces them to one another, and this is the last verse in that chapter. Then Isaac took Rebecca, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Isn't that a great story? And I just have to believe that everybody knew this story. Everybody that knew the story, the narrative of God's love continuing on through a people, continuing on through Isaac and Rebecca, that they knew and loved this story, including the woman in our passage. John chapter 4, beginning at verse 3. Listen to God's word to you. Jesus left Judea, started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. 
Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then the disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want or why are you speaking with her? And then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? And they left the city and were on their way to him. This is the gift of God's word. And the more I spent time in that story, it seems to me to be filled with Hannah Holden's question, what are you, what are you doing? What are you doing? There's so much about what Jesus is doing here that is full of surprises. First of all, what is he doing in Samaria? You can see right there in the middle of the story that Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. We're not going to go into all the reasons behind that. But they would usually go around Samaria. They would not go through it. And they considered the Samaritans unclean. So what's he doing in Samaria? What's he doing talking to a woman in public, which was not a part of their culture? And you can tell that the disciples are more surprised by that than the fact that he's talking to a Samaritan. And what is Jesus doing talking to this particular woman? And we can tell in this story that she has a reputation. She's out there by herself. None of the other women are there in the middle of the day, rejected by the men in her life, rejected by women, rejected by the village. But perhaps the bigger surprise in this story is the symbolism. Where is Jesus seated? At a well, right? Do you remember whose well it is? Jacob's well. Do you remember who Jacob's parents are? 
Isaac, and Rebekah. Jesus is waiting at this well for the first woman to come out to him. And he asks her this very distinctive thing, give me a drink. So whatever else is going on in this story, whatever Jesus is up to, it is loaded with symbolism. It is loaded with everything that happened around the love story with Isaac and Rebecca, and God's continuing love story through a people throughout Scripture. So Jesus and the woman talk about water. Two kinds of water. There's the water that you drink, Jesus tells her, after which you're still thirsty. You are as thirsty as ever. And I think we actually know that kind of reoccurring thirst. Thirsting for the approval of other people. People-pleasing, I know that thirst. Wanting to hear people say you did a good job. But then once they say you did a good job, it's never quite enough, is it? You need to do more. You want to be more. You want to hear more. Thirstier than ever. Thirsty for the next high. The high that can make you feel less anxious, make you feel more relaxed, make you feel more yourself, make you feel like you can do anything. And then you come down from that high and you're thirstier than ever for the next high. Thirsty for love and security. But after five husbands, she was thirstier than ever. So Jesus says there's that kind of water. But then there's another kind of water, what he calls living water, that he gives. It doesn't make you thirstier, but it actually lives inside of you, and you become the well. And it gushes up and overflows out of you. And the woman said, I want this. I want that. And then the topic of their conversation shifts to husbands, and her shame. They're not really talking about that without saying it. It's about her thirst for love. They're talking about worship. They're talking about God. They're talking about God's Messiah. And then the disciples return from their errand just when Jesus is finishing his. What happens next? She leaves her jar, that other kind of water, she runs into the village, telling them all about Jesus. She had begged him, Lord, give me this water. And it looks like he did. She's a well, filled up, overflowing. Just so surprising, so life-changing. This narrative of God's love that wants to be embodied, that is embodied in Jesus Christ, that comes to us, lives in us, comes through us. Our preaching series this spring is inspired by Lisa Sharon Harper, who wrote this book, The Very Good Gospel, and we are basing our topics and our small group discussions and our drop-in discussion group on Sunday on this book. And um, throughout the book... She weaves in her own kind of woman at the well story. 
There are several times in this book, I don't know if you do this, but I like to mark my books as I read them. And as I read parts of her story, I have written off in the margins, ugh, exclamation mark. When she was in fifth grade and she comes downstairs to have breakfast and her mother tells her, your daddy moved out last night. Ugh. When she's forced to move from a predominantly black neighborhood where she feels at home to a mostly white small rural village, ugh, where she has crush, crush after crush on these white boys, but they tell her eventually that they can't have anything to do with her kind, ugh. When her best friend and her worst enemy team up and they actually get the entire fifth grade class to gang up on her when the teacher leaves the room, ugh, when she briefly mentions that she was sexually abused by her uncle. Oh. She said she felt that there was a word written on a piece of paper and fixed to her forehead, and that word was unwanted. But she writes this, from second grade through fifth grade, through my father's leaving us, and through every moment since, that is the core lie I've believed. I am not wanted. I am fundamentally unloved. Probably the same core lie that the Samaritan woman believed about herself. Maybe the same core lie that you believe about yourself or someone you love. You are convinced that he or she believes that. But there's a stronger narrative, isn't there? There is this amazing narrative of God's love there at the beginning, continues on, meeting us constantly in Jesus Christ, empowering us. It can't be stopped. God sent Lisa, this very special friend named Starla, who was the pastor's daughter, God sent Lisa this amazing church community that surrounded her and loved her. God sent Lisa this specially orchestrated moment when God's love became very real to her, and this is the way she describes it. That night, Jesus said, I love you, Lisa. You are worth pursuing. I have pursued you across 2,000 years. I broke the barriers of time and space to be with you again. That night, I said yes to Jesus. I dropped my well water at the altar, and Jesus' living water began to trickle up from my soul. I felt the power of the resurrection. And as my friends drove me home, I remember thinking, I wonder if I'll still be a Christian 10 years from now. That was in 1983. And now, here we are, learning from her the very good gospel. She is a well of living water. Crossing all barriers, God coming to us, I love you, I love you, I love you, and then through us to others, there is a very good gospel that has your name on it. Last week was my designated Wednesday of the month to speak at Street Church. It was the day before Valentine's Day. So I told them this story. I told them the story about uh, Hannah Holden, 
told in the story about Leo and Mary and the rose. I also had gone to the dollar store. I'd gotten a bunch of red roses, just fake ones, and they were in a bag off to the side. I told them the story about the Samaritan woman and Jesus waiting at that well and saying, give me a drink. And, and at the end of telling the story to them, I said, you know, I think, I think we think nobody sees us. That this story really is for somebody else that has a prettier life story than ours. We think that there are all these barriers between us and God. But God does see us and comes to us in Jesus Christ And he pulls out a rose, and I pulled out a rose, and I said, there's no ring on this, but Jesus sees you, knows your name, and wants you to belong to his love forever. So we went around and pulled out roses and went to each person and said their name and said, Jesus loves you. Jesus sees you. And at the very end, I was talking with some of them, not these two, but another guy that was standing off to the side. And actually, we gave two roses to those who wanted more than one. Why? So that they could give them away to somebody else who needed to hear that. And a lot of them wanted more than one rose. And this one guy was standing off to the side, and he was holding his rose. And he was very, very eager to talk to me about something. He said, I know that there's a verse in Romans 8, at the end of Romans 8, and I can't remember what the verse number is, but I knew which verse he was talking about. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as we remembered that verse together, he got so animated and so excited. It was the narrative of God's love coming to us, through us, welling up inside of him this well of love Crossing all barriers so that every single person hears, Jesus sees you. Jesus is right in front of you, kneeling, offering you the fullness of God's covenant love so that we can be filled, embodying that love to a world filled with barriers. Let's pray. Jesus, you see each one of us and you know our thirst. You know our thirst better than we know it. You know how we keep so often going to that well where we have to keep going over and over again while you are offering to us living water. Our Lord, even now, Help us to know your nearness here, to hear you speaking our own name, to hear your invitation, your presence seated next to us. Oh God, even now, help us to receive the fullness of God's amazing love in you, to become your well your well of grace and mercy overcoming every barrier, every obstacle, every lie that would tell us we are unwanted. May we hear your voice saying, I want you. 
I love you. I came for you. And God, may we turn and say the same. To those around us who have that same label on their forehead, thinking they are unwanted by you. We praise you and thank you. Servant of God, coming to the world to reconnect us with that well of God's love. Amen.